Let's pray. Wisdom from on high, we ask that in the hearing of your word, you would stir us up and thereby give us true peace. Amen. In my work uh, developing this fellows program for young adults, I talk to a lot of people who work with young adults, either campus ministers or uh, people who run programs like the one I'm developing. And there's something that I hear again and again from these folks, and that is, for any number of reasons, uh, the young people that they encounter, either during college or soon after, are slowly, uh, they're, they're different than those of just a generation ago in that most all of them have already heard the claims of the gospel, and they don't want to hear it anymore. I had one campus minister tell me not long ago uh, that he had a student tell him, not only do I not want to hear you're preaching at me, I'm sort of annoyed that you would even try. Jesus says, Blessed are those who take no offense at me. People these days, uh, especially young adults, especially intelligent people, are offended by Christ and or his church. This is especially true of those who come to the claims of Jesus and the gospel through the hot-button issues of the day. They'll encounter a minister or a pastor, and they'll say, does the church really believe that? The Bible doesn't really say that, does it? While there are plenty of things, without doubt, in the Bible and in the history of church, the church, that would give the average person plenty of fits, plenty of offense. I think this morning we'll discover in Matthew 11, Matthew 11 that underneath all of the things that offend people, there is what we might call the primal offense. But before we get there, I want to explore three things that we see in Matthew 11 about what it means to be offended by Jesus. Three things, and that is Jesus hears us, he offends us, and he blesses us. He hears us, he offends us, and he blesses us. The story we read in the gospel this morning opens when some disciples come from John the Baptist with the question, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? John had been put in prison by King Herod, and while he's in prison, he does what prophets in prison do. He prays, he reads his Bible, he remembers the deeds of God on behalf of the people of Israel. Especially, he remembers the stories about his hero, Elijah. Remember now that the connection between John the Baptist and Elijah is so strong that even Jesus in this passage himself says that for those who are willing to accept it, John is as Elijah come again. 
can't help but wonder if John might have remembered the, that story in the Bible when some teenagers start making fun of Elijah for his bald head. Do y'all remember this one? And Elijah prays and some bears come out of the forest and eat the teenagers up. <laughs> or how about the other story where Elijah encounters the false prophets of the idol of Baal and he calls down fire from heaven that consumes every single one of them. Scripture said that these were exactly the kinds of things that the Messiah would do. Ezekiel said, a fire would come out against all the house of Israel. Jeremiah said, and if any nation will not listen, then I will completely uproot it and destroy it, says the Lord. John listened, but he heard no uprooting. He looked and he saw no fire. Notice everything that John was expecting Jesus to do was about power. You ever notice that? What, what does John say earlier before he's put in prison about the coming Messiah? He called Jesus the one who is more powerful than me. The one who would gather the wheat and burn the chaff. The one who would take an ax to the barren tree of unbelieving Israel. But John's problems with Jesus go beyond uh, a mere checklist on the top of a form called messianic fulfillment. For John, it's personal. Remember, he's in prison for doing the will of God. He's in prison because he stood up against the sexual immorality of the cultural elites. And did Jesus spring him out of jail? Did Jesus use his power to punish those who had wrongly imprisoned him? It's as though John can be heard saying, what about me, Jesus? I did all this in God's name, and I want to know when you're going to be the powerful judge that I thought you would be. So he sends word to Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting for, or should we look for another? Notice for John, as for any good believing Jew, there's no doubt about the fact that there is a one for whom we should be waiting. The question is, who is it going to be? In ancient Greek philosophy, the one was the, the unifying principle that organized all wisdom and earthly knowledge. In Jewish culture, the one was the figure of the Messiah who arranged and organized history toward which all things in linear time would point. Now you're asking yourself, what does, that, what does that have to do with me? I'm not Jewish and I don't read Plato. But I submit to you that like John, you are looking for the one. For some people, they're looking for a boss to be like the dad that they never had. For a lot of young people, the one is the person who will help me unpack the emotional baggage from my family of origin the one who will satisfy all of my desires. Who is the one? If we're not careful, we can cram Jesus into the mold that our desires have made 
so much that the reality of who he actually is no longer fits in the little box. He'll no longer be a match for what we want him to be. And if and when that happens, there will inevitably come a time when we grow disappointed because Jesus is no longer delivering the goods that we thought he would. Friends, don't squander your offense. Don't squander your disappointment with Jesus because that just might be the beginning of a genuine encounter with the person of Christ. I implore you instead to do what John did. Ask Jesus directly, are you the one that I've been waiting for? And Jesus will hear you in your doubts. He's open to your concern. He's he's even open to hearing how offended we are by him. Notice uh, Jesus didn't say, well, John's offended. Woe unto them that are offended by me. How could he be offended? No, Jesus takes time to answer those who are offended by him and by his church just as he took time to answer John in his disappointment. You know, that's why this church is named St. Thomas. We, we put the original doubter right there on the sign. Thomas the Apostle. We put him on our sign because we want this to be a place patterned after the tenderness of our Lord Jesus to allow people to come near to him and to touch them, not in spite of, but because of their doubts and offense. We want to be a place that makes room for doubters. But Jesus also doesn't leave John in his offendedness. If Jesus creates tension between our fantasy version of him and who he really is, it's certainly not to preserve the status quo or to keep us comfortable. So if the first takeaway of this sermon is that Jesus hears us in our doubts, the second is like unto it and more difficult, and that is it's Jesus himself who gives the offense. Jesus scandalizes us. Now what does that mean, you ask? Because doesn't it say right here in Matthew 11, blessed are they who take no offense at me? Well, yes, but it's complicated. Uh, Let me put it to you this way. This is a great illustration for this time of year because uh, a lot of you are going to be at holiday gatherings with your extended family, and you're going to have somebody come up to you and say, uh, uh, now, don't, now don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> you're like, you know what? Big time out. I, I'm, all, I'm all full up on parenting advice. Or how about when your uncle, uh, you're all sitting around the table, and he said, now... I hope nobody gets offended with what I'm about to say. And like, you're all on pins and needles. You're like, oh boy, here we go, Uncle Robert again. Notice Jesus doesn't say, uh, John is offended with, with me? Why, whatever is the bother? I'm all puppy dogs and ice cream. Who could get offended at me? No, uh, just a couple of paragraphs before this story that we read out of chapter 11, Jesus has just said, if you think I came to bring peace to the world, think again. 
I came to bring a sword. My word will separate people even from their families. If you think I came to help you live a fitter, happier, more productive wife, life with a, a smiling wife and children in the back seat, that's not it at all. The love that I ask you to have for me will make all of the other loves in your life seem like hatred by comparison. Jesus said there are some people that are never going to be anything but offended by him. At the tail end of the story today, he said there are some people, uh, you, you can do no right in their eyes. You play them a dirge, they're not going to cry. Do the happy dance, they're not going to join in. They're always going to be offended. But Jesus also shows us that there are people who can and do welcome him with joy. Who are those people? Well, it's the list that he gives to the disciples of John. You go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor, oh, the poor have good news preached to them. This list is both literal and figurative, because after all, salvation is both physical and spiritual. You see this pattern throughout the Gospels. Who receives the blessing of God but the man who is too lame and depressed to, either flop it, to, to even flop himself over into the pool of Siloam? Who sees the coming salvation of God in the figure of Jesus? the man in John 9 whose eyes he's just opened. Who delights to hear the message of Jesus and, and welcomes it as good news? Why, it's the poor, the spiritually bankrupt, those who get a zero in the religion class of the world. So how, how can we attain to that state? How can we become one of those people? I mean, can we become lame? Or poor, can we enter again into our mother's womb? Is this something that we can uh, work a little bit harder to do? Well, no, of course not, because then it wouldn't be the gospel, would it? After all, the gospel that is preached to the poor, uh, in order to be a gospel, the news has to be good. It's not about something that we have to do. It's rather about something that has been done for us. It's not like we can make being uh, spiritually poor and blind into a virtue that we can attain to so that then God will owe us salvation as our reward. When Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of Matthew and in, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. He doesn't intend for us to try to become poor in spirit and thereby deserve the blessedness of the kingdom. You see, the poor aren't closer to God because they're poor. He doesn't say, blessed are you because you don't have any money. No. They're blessed in the kingdom of God because they aren't so proud to think that they're in control of their own lives. The weak and the wounded live closer to the kingdom because they have the humility that often smart, good-looking Anglicans like me and you don't have which is why the gospel always thrives among the wretched of the earth. 
or at least among those who know they're wretched and aren't afraid to see in their lives the need of the grace of God. So the question still stands, how do we move from being offended by the gospel to recognizing what we're offered in it? And believe me, friends, this is a question for long-term Christians as much as it is for those who have never met Christ. You never, you never get over this part of the gospel. You never get over it. Well, we're in luck because so many of our readings focused on Elijah this Sunday that I was forced back into his story again and again. And I remembered my favorite story in the Elijah cycle. You know, the, the, the grace of God, the gospel is always in the Old Testament if you're looking for it. Stories about the one, uh, the Assyrian general named Naaman who was the chief of the armies of the enemies of Israel. And he comes down with leprosy. He hires the best doctors in town and they can't do anything for him. And who but his little servant girl tells him, I know a prophet in Israel who can heal you. And so he goes to Elijah. Only he, only he goes with what? All of his money. Letters showing his position and status. And he gets to Elijah, and what does Elijah say? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not impressed by any of that. If you want to be whole, go dip in the Jordan River. And Naaman is almost ready to do it until he gets down and he, he, he actually looks at the muddy trickle that he's supposed to go down into, and he says, you want me to get into that? You see, he's offended. He's offended. And again, as is, as is often the case, it's, it's who? It's the servant who sees the gospel. And the servant says, if he had asked you to do something great and hard, you would have done it, no problem. The labors of Hercules would not be too much for you. All he's asked you to do is nothing. You see, now we've arrived at the primal offense. The thing about Jesus, the thing about the gospel, the thing about grace that is just too hard for smart, good-looking people like me and you to swallow. Underneath all the intellectual questions, underneath all of the disappointment with the church, and it's real, Underneath it all, we're offended with Jesus because we don't want to see ourselves as the same as all the spiritual zeros who welcome him. The layabouts and the undeserving, people who don't know any better. There's something in most of us that wants to be a little more religiously, how should we say it, tasteful? than those people? To you, Jesus says, look at what I've done for them. You know, I can do it for you if you'll let me. You just have to admit that you've got nothing to give and everything to receive. And friends, we can trust what he offers us 
because he gave up everything to give it to us. The people who receive Jesus without offense are the ones who see in him someone like them. Jesus didn't just preach to the poor, he became poor. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. And that's not all. He was also blindfolded, wasn't he? As they spat upon him and said, who strikes you? He became blind for our sakes. You know what a loser Jesus was? He was too lame and weak to even carry his own cross out to the hill. And where was the hill? Why, it was in the place where the lepers were condemned to live out beyond the edge of the city. That's why the poor and the lame and the blind receive him. Receive him because they see that he became what they are so that they could become what he is. So look at him. Don't ever turn your gaze from him. Look at him. Look at his disfigured face. Yes, he offends you, but he also blesses you. He blesses you. He heals the lame and the blind and the poor today, just like he did 2,000 years ago. And I know that because he healed me. There was a long period in my life when I was deeply offended by Christ and his church. And I did not hesitate to let anyone know about that. My return to faith was a long process and it was also a single moment. And in that single moment, I remember still nursing all of the offenses that festered inside of me. The church is racist and sexist and homophobic and nothing but a shell game for capitalism. Coming to faith did not instantly solve all of those problems. But God did call me to himself in spite of all that, and I knew that Christ alone was the source of all of the beauty in the world and that only the love of God could break through into my life and heal me of the primal offense. And Christ will bless you beyond your offendedness too if you'll let him. If you look upon him in all of his humility and brokenness and see in him your Lord and King, it's going to take nothing less than a miracle of God, a supernatural insight, a supernatural blessing of God. And if this morning that seems to you like even a remote possibility of something that you would want, you know what that means? That means he's already doing it for you. In him, you already have everything that you need. He offends you, yes, but he hears you and loves you and blesses you anyway. Amen. Amen. 